thank you again for being in church. And wasn't that a good prayer time, by the way? I mean, there's something about talking to God. It's why you come to church. You want to meet with God when you come to church and when you come to worship. And I'm so grateful that you are here. Today we're going to talk about that next principle in a family of faith, um, how you can connect into God's purpose for your life, um, how you can experience His best in your church, how you can move forward from where you've, been, where you've been and to what God has for you. And the word we're going to talk about today is intentionality. Now last week we talked about freedom. Of course it was 4th of July weekend and uh, I hope that you had a good celebration with people and those that you love. I hope it was a good experience. And we learned last week that true freedom, it only comes from the Lord. Real freedom, it comes from your relationship with the Lord. But today we're going to talk about intentionality. Um, do you know what it's like to set your mind to something and because you're intentional in your pursuit about it, you accomplish that? Um, I'm reminded of a conversation with my oldest son. Um, before he started high school here um, in New Orleans at one of the uh, local Catholic schools, I said, wouldn't it be something um, if the Protestant kid became the valedictorian of the Catholic high school? Um, and it's funny because he kind of set his mind to do that, and he was valedictorian of a Catholic high school here in New Orleans. So it was kind of funny because as he delivered his speech, you know, it was one of those things where he talked about the reality that a lot of people um, expected him to know all the answers in Bible class because his dad was a pastor. But he said, actually, it was because I knew the answers because I understood what it meant to have a relationship with the Lord. So even even at that uh, graduation, he was able to share the intentionality of having a relationship with Christ. Pretty cool opportunity for him. But it required him to set his mind and his goal to accomplish that himself. I could set him up to do that as a father, but he had to do the work. Likewise, in our lives, God is the same. God will set us up to experience his best. He will put us in the positions to succeed. But we have to be intentional about how we live, about the choices we make, about how we pursue him. Intentionality is one of those things that in your household, if you want to experience God's best, if you want to overcome challenges in your past or even in your present, um, if you want to see some of the presence and the, the Spirit of God at work on your behalf, there's some intentional steps that we all must take. Do you realize that God is an intentional God? had a conversation with someone just a few weeks ago recently, and we got into this dialogue about their belief system and the Christian belief system. And ultimately, as we began to talk, and I'm, I'm being kind because that's what pastors are, right? We're supposed to be nice, right? So I'm being nice in this conversation. And ultimately, as I would offer uh, an answer, uh, the person got frustrated and said, oh, well, we all end up in the same place anyways. All the pathways lead to the same place. And I said, no, that's just it. That's what I'm saying. They don't. Otherwise, there's no need for God. There is no God. If they all end up in the same place, then we're all fooled. <laughs> but that's not the case. Why is that not the case? Because when God reveals himself, he reveals who he is, what he wants to do, and his plan in a very deliberate and intentional way. He's very intentional. God is not haphazard. Just look at yourself. <laughs> look at all of us. A very creative, unique group of people. God's not haphazard in how he works. He works very intentionally in our lives. And he is a God who has an intentional plan. When we pick up with the story of Moses today, when we look at his life... Um, we're going to take a series of ten events that God does in the history of the life of Moses and in the life of his people. And we're going to summarize those in about 30 minutes. So this is a challenge, right? So you're going to have to listen really closely. But what I want you to see today, God has an intentional way of revealing himself. An intentionality in our lives as Christians in how we respond to others and how we live. That is his pathway toward helping us experience his best. If you're taking notes today, you might want to write this down. The life lesson for today. The Lord does great things through those who intentionally follow him. The Lord does great things. He does great things for and through and on behalf of, but who? Who does he do, do that for? Those who intentionally follow him. If you want to experience God's best, God's will, God's design, 
It requires some intentionality of faith, of direction, of choice. And the Lord will do great things through you, for you, and on your behalf, and those around you. But it begins with intentionality. And when I look at Exodus chapter 7, I just want to give you a snapshot in seven verses that set up really a preeminent revelation of God of what He was going to do, who He was, and how He's intentional in saving and helping His people. Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. The Bible says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Moses, see, look at this, I make you as God, not God, as God, to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and I bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it as the Lord commanded them, thus they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now these seven verses set up what we would know in Scripture as the ten plagues on Egypt. From this point forward, if you read in the story of the Exodus, the story of God bringing out His people from Egypt, God begins this intentional process of revealing who He is and what He wants to do. And it's very intentional. I think when you look at the revelation of His character and you see how specifically detailed He gets into proving who He is and what He wants to do to rescue people, I think then by the time we finish this message today, you will be thankful not only for His redemption, but the way in which He works very deliberately, very detailed in our lives, and how we too can be intentional in our relationship with Him. God's work, it always includes three things. Chapter 7, verse 1 through 7 are the introduction to a very specific work that God would do to set people free. And God's work, it always, and I hesitate to use the word always, even as I was writing this, I was going always, always. In Scripture, you will see the character of God and God's work on behalf of His people and others. It always includes three things. The first one is redemption. God's character, God's desire is always redemptive in nature. In other words, God will always take what is broken, destructive, and He will turn it into something good. God always desires to rescue those who are broken, those who are experiencing devastation. God always desires to save, always. He is a redemptive God. Last week we talked about His presence, the reality that He's always present. And we also talked about the reality that He is redemptive. And this week when we look at the passage, what we see is that God's desire is to redeem His people. In verse 1 and 2, what you see God do is very clear. He says to Moses and to Aaron, and he speaks to them, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to use the two of you, and I'm going to set an entire nation of people free. The redemptive nature of God's work, first and foremost, always. Listen very closely. For us to understand God's redemptive desire for us, it must first always be personal. It's one thing to say, God wants to save people. But it's really hard to understand what it means for God to save people unless you have been rescued and saved by God first. 
Moses and Aaron are at a point in their lives where they are 80 and 83. What a beautiful story because it's a reminder that God will use anyone at any point in their life as long as they are willing to be saved, to be rescued, to be changed and be used by God for his purposes. At 80 and 83, these two men accomplished something that many of us that are much younger wish that we could and be used by. It was never too late for them. Why? Because they plugged into God's redemptive purpose. And God said to them, I am going to use you. Moses, I'm going to make you as a God to Pharaoh. And Aaron, you're going to be the voice box. You're going to be the prophet, the spokesman. Now, this plays out because God would use Moses and Aaron over the next series of events in time to be able to exercise miracles that were beyond the understanding of the Egyptian people, much less Pharaoh himself. Moses would become that kind of person. Now, when you go on and read the rest of the story, you'll understand he didn't act as God, but God used him to accomplish great things because he was willing to be used by God. And there's a big difference there. When you're willing to be used by God and intentionally giving your life to follow God, God can use you to accomplish some God things. And Moses accomplished some of God things in Egypt with his life. It's true of you as well. There are things that only you can accomplish, but it begins with something that's personal. Secondly, your personal redemption always leads then to the secondary redemption of someone else. Then once you have experienced God's goodness, grace, mercy, love, that is something that you want to then share, to live out, to allow God to use you to accomplish something of God-likeness, of God's goodness, of His character in the life of someone else. Much like this week, seeing a dear friend come to know Jesus as their Savior. That was a God moment. Take no credit for it. A wonderful moment to see God do something good. When we intentionally are willing to follow the Lord and His will for our lives, He wants to bring about redemption, salvation, life change, the opposite of destruction, devastation, the opposite of hate and anger and displacement. No, God's purpose in life always, always, always is redemptive. And for you today, here's the beautiful thing perhaps. Some of you might go, well, I've done too much. I've been through too much. It's too late for me. God's purpose in life always, always, always is redemptive in nature toward you and toward those around you. That's the first thing that stands out because with that as the backdrop of his character and his desire for people, then you get to see how he intentionally brings that to pass. In the book of Exodus, he does ten things, ten very specific things. Now, I want you to bear with me uh, in this because the reality is these ten things, you could be sitting on the other side of the fence, and if you're sitting on the other side of the fence, it might seem cruel. I'm going to go on and address the elephant in the room because God does some things very intentionally, very specifically, plagues against the nation of Egypt. Why does he do that? For redemptive purposes, to set free those who were oppressed, to get the attention of those who ignored him, to get them to understand he was the one true God and he was the one who desired to save people, his character. And he will use intentional means, not only in history, but in our lives to get our attention if that's what it takes to get us to be the type of people who are also redeemed and redemptive in nature. So this is what God begins to do. The second thing that he always does is he always, his redemptive work in history is always about his glory. It's always about revealing who he is and what he wants to do. His character is redemptive and he reveals who he is and his glory is different than any other God in history, any other human in history. He's always about helping people understand who he really is. And so, as a part of his redemptive work, 
His intentional work of redemption in history, He always wants people to know Him, who He is, to see His glory, and to understand what it is He wants to do. He says in Scripture, the Egyptians will know. Moses, I'm going to send you for a redemptive purpose. I'm going to redeem your life, and I'm going to redeem the life of all these people, and I'm going to use you to do it. So his purpose is redemption. And what am I going to do in this process of redemption? I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh and all of the Egyptian people will know what? Will know that I am the Lord. Why is that important? God's memorial name, we read it last week, when he shared it with Moses at the burning bush. The burning bush moment for Moses. And we all need a burning bush moment, don't we? At the burning bush moment, God says to Moses, I am. I am. I am. Not I was. Not I will be. I am. I am always present. I am the God who is real. He reveals that to Moses. Well, guess what he says the Egyptians are going to discover? They will know after I'm done doing all of this, guess what? I am. I am the Lord. I am the one who is in control of all this, who has the purpose of redemption. I am the one who has the authority and who is working on behalf of those who need and desire my salvation. Ten times in the next few chapters... Pharaoh would respond to a redemptive God with a no. Ten times. And ten times, every time he would say no toward God, God would respond with a very intentional response. Very specific. Here's what they are. And I think you'll find this just as fascinating with me as a very simple history lesson. Chapter 7, verse 14 The Nile turns to blood. Now, if you've studied history, geography, you'll know the Nile is that huge river that feeds all of that area throughout Egypt. Wonderful, beautiful. You've seen documentaries on it. The whole river turns to blood. Why is that important? Well, there were two Egyptian gods, Hapi and Kanum. They were the gods of the Nile. They were protectors of the Nile, and yet they could not protect the Nile nor keep it clean and cleansed from the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Bible who was in control of the waters of the Nile. The Egyptians worshipped the gods of the Nile, but the gods of the Nile could not save them. Chapter 7, verse 25, God sends a plague of frogs. So after the Nile turns to blood, you think, oh, wow, that's a miracle. That's enough to let God's people go to be a part of of God's redemptive plan. But the Egyptians and Pharaoh say, nope, not enough. You can't prove to me that you're God. The Nile turning to blood is not strong enough to prove to me that you are in charge. So we're just going to keep being the kind of people that we're going to be. We're going to keep making the decisions that we're going to make. And so then God sends a plague of frogs. In chapter 7, verse 25, the frogs take over the land. Now, I don't know about you, but like one frog's okay couple of frogs, yeah, but can you imagine just being covered in frogs everywhere? I mean, we have some frogs down here in South Louisiana, right? Um, But, I mean, frogs everywhere? Well, there's a reason that it was frogs. I mean, frogs seems random, right? And sometimes we think God's work is random. But do you realize the Egyptians actually had a God who was in charge of the frogs? (laughs) So they actually believed in this deity, Hets who also was the king who came in the form of a frog. So they had this Egyptian deity that they worshipped who was in charge of the frogs. Kind of weird, right? But don't people today believe a lot of weird things and worship a lot of weird things? And yet that God could not control the swarms and the hordes of the frogs because Moses said, look, you believe in frogs? Watch this. (laughs) And I'm going to show you what damage frogs can do. Very intentional And therefore, you would think that a second sign would help the Egyptian people and the pharaohs know that the God of the Bible that you and I worship today, the redemptive God who is in charge of all things, that they should probably listen to him, but it didn't work. And so in chapter 8, verse 16, God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh, and he says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I'm going to send swarms of lice. That'll make you crawl right now. Is anybody else itching right now? I'm going to send swarms of lice and gnats. 
And that was a direct attack on the priests who were charged with keeping the pantheon of all the Egyptian deities. So all of these priests that were informing Pharaoh saying, oh, it's just coincidence, and these miracles that Moses and Aaron are doing, um, don't worry about it, we'll be okay. Well, guess what? They got covered in lice and gnats. Thank you very much for being disobedient to God who's trying to redeem people and not paying attention. So they have this plague of lice and gnats that come upon them. And that very clearly showed that the authority of the priest of the Egyptian deities was limited when compared to the authority of the God of the Hebrews. Chapter 8, verse 20, flies. So flies come in and they begin to attack the people, the animals, the crops, and all things of that. Did you realize that the Egyptians had a God of the flies? So even before you read the book, The Lord of the Flies, there was actually an Egyptian God of the flies. And the God of the flies was Yucatit. And he was a God who kept the flies under control, except he lost his authority to Yahweh, the one true God, the I Am, who was in charge of all of the flies. And so the flies swarm the lands, and that is plague number four. Well, four should be good, right? Three strikes, you're normally out. Four should get your attention, but it did not work. So then God sends a fifth sign, and that was disease on the cattle. Chapter 9, verse 1, if you're reading Exodus By the way, if you're writing this down, you're going to have a fun read later this afternoon because you'll want to validate all this, and it's quite a fascinating moment in history. And so, chapter 9, verse 1, there's a disease that comes on all the cattle. And Apis was the revered god of cattle. He was the one that in the pantheon had the head of a bull. And so they worshipped this god who was the king of all of the cattle and kept the herd safe, except He couldn't keep the herd safe from Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, the people who needed to be saved, who God wanted to redeem. And God was telling the Egyptians, you need to let them go. You need to do this. I'm trying to get your attention. And so now I'm going to strike at the heart of your commerce, of your food, of your crops. I'm going to strike at your cattle who you also worship. And so there again, they have this plague on their cattle and they begin to lose all of that. It should have woken up them to a, a moment where their economy was going to fall apart. It should have drawn them into the Lord, but it didn't. And so in chapter 9, verse 8, the people have boils and sores all over them. Now this is interesting. The Egyptian had, the Egyptian had boils and sores all over them. The Hebrews did not. When you go and you read that story, what's interesting is only the people who were not willing to recognize God's redemptive power and plan to save them, only those who rejected it suffered the boils on their skin. Now, very painful boils. The Bible talks about it's a plague against a certain group of people. Wow, man, that's like harsh, it seems. And yet God's trying again to get the attention of Pharaoh and the people to realize he is the one true God and he is the God who wants to redeem and set free. Oh, and by the way, very specifically, Sekhemet and Serapis were the gods that the Egyptians worshipped for healing power. So they had two deities that they worshipped that would bring healing power to sickness. Well, these two gods couldn't heal the boils and the sores on the Egyptian people because the one true God had reached out and said, look, I want to redeem my people. Pay attention. Here I am. I have the strength, the power to do this. Moses said it would happen, and it happened. And the deities were powerless that the people worshipped. Their religion was powerless that the Egyptians worshipped to rescue or to work against the one true God, Yahweh, as we know him from the Scripture the great I am. And so in chapter 9, verse 13, because yet again there, they would not let the people go. They would not be a part of the redemption. God sends hail. Seth was the God of the Egyptian uh, crops. He was the protector of the harvest. He was the one that would bring about a great harvest. And so these people naturally worshiped Seth. Seth couldn't stop the hail. And so the hail destroyed all their crops. And again, God has spoken and said, look, 
let my people go, but here you have a seventh time where the hearts are hardened. It doesn't matter what you say or do. I'm not going to be involved in your redemption, your salvation. I'm not going to believe you. And so then God sends the eighth sign. Chapter 10, verse 1, locust. And so God sends locust to devour the land, everything good in the land. Locust, this was a direct strike against Isis, the goddess of life. Yeah, they were gender-friendly, right? They had a goddess that they worshipped. So even back then, they were trying to be politically correct and, and accurate. And guess what? Isis couldn't save them. The goddess couldn't rescue him because the God of the Bible spoke. And when he spoke, it was true. And his desire was to redeem man and woman. His desire was to reveal his character of salvation for all. And it didn't matter whether it was a male deity or a female deity that was being worshipped in their culture. It was no match for Yahweh. It was no match for the redemptive power and authority of God to rescue those who needed salvation, who were willing to open up for salvation. And so God speaks against Isis, the goddess of life, because she could not prevent the destruction of the locust. Number nine, chapter 10, verse 21, the whole land turns to darkness. Now, this one's fascinating um, because number nine actually goes to the chief deity in the Egyptian worship system of the day. Uh, for those of you that have studied history or those of you who are teachers, you will know this, even those of you who study different cultures. Obviously, it's the sun god, Ra, and God blots out Ra. God says there will be entire darkness on the entire land of Egypt. You look through e Egyptian history, and I realize, okay, Pastor Michael, wind this up. I'm tired of hearing about all these other deities. Right, because you're Christian. But remember this, God will do whatever it takes intentionally to reveal who he is and what it takes to save people. And the Egyptians were struggling to learn this lesson. This is number nine. So he blots out the sun. The entire land goes to darkness. And the sun god Ra is put in his place. He is no match. Who the people worship, who they follow is no match for the god of the Hebrews, the god of the Israelites, the god of the oppressed, the god who saves Yahweh, the God of the Bible, he's no match. And so Pharaoh again says, no. No. I'm not going to believe you, God. I'm not going to set your people free. Moses, I don't know who you are. Even though you're involved in God's plan of redemption, you mean nothing to me. I'm going to stay the way I am. And that's the tenth plague. Because of all the other things, I guess it just wasn't personal enough for Pharaoh to pay attention to God. And usually it has to get personal for someone to finally pay attention to God. God has to speak very personally and intentionally into hard hearts to help people realize he's trying to get their attention because he wants to redeem. He wants to save them. He wants to rescue them from their way and bring them into a better place, a better way, a way of salvation in life. And so number 10, the 10th plague, chapter 11 and chapter 12, um, God says he will send the destroyer and he will take out the firstborn of all of the children of Egypt. Now, the reason this is fascinating, historically speaking, is the one person who sat above all of the deities of Egyptian history. The one person who had the authority and the charge over all of them. The one person that all of the Egyptians believed had the most authority, the most influence. And yes, they even worshipped this one person as divine. That one person was none other than Pharaoh himself. So every other plague had been done to get the people's attention, to get Pharaoh's attention. But now God had made it very personal for Pharaoh. God said, look, they worship you as the one who has all of the authority. You have the authority, and people believe this, Pharaoh had the authority to give life. But Pharaoh could not give life, just like you and I cannot give life. The Lord God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, is the giver of life. He desires redemption. He is the one who gives life, and he is the one who can take away life. And in this moment when the plague of the firstborn happens in the land of Egypt, do you know who could not save anyone? Pharaoh. 
He couldn't save himself. He couldn't save his child. And he couldn't save anyone else. But do you realize that the people of God, they were given instructions. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. They were given instructions. For your household to be redeemed and your children to be redeemed, I want you to make a sacrifice. And with that sacrifice of an unblemished sacrifice, I want you to paint with blood over the doorway of your house. And when the death angel sees the blood over your household, he will pass over your household and your household will be spared. That's what God said. That offer that was open to anyone who would receive the redemption of God. But the Egyptians did not experience that because they didn't believe. Pharaoh didn't experience that because he did not believe. And one by one, I want you to see this systematically. God debunked every belief system, every excuse, every opportunity for another belief that the Egyptians had. One by one, he dismantled them to prove intentionally he is God. What did he say to them in the beginning of redemption? The Egyptians will know. What will the Egyptians know? I am. Ladies and gentlemen, that I am is the God of your redemption. That I am is the same God who intentionally today, if it takes him 10 steps to get into your life or 12, whatever it takes, he's going to speak your language because he's a God who intentionally desires to rescue and to save and to redeem. How far would God go to set you free? It's a good question. How far would God go to get your attention to redeem you and I to set us free? How far would he go? Well, the book of Exodus shows us that he used Moses to reveal that God has a very intentional redemptive plan. He reveals his character, his desire to reveal. And what is his very intentional redemptive plan? Well, it's very clearly he's not random in sending Jesus. Some people believe Jesus is just another person, just another man or a way to salvation. But God's not random. God does not act by random. Historically speaking, the Egyptians learned this lesson. You want to know something even more fascinating? Usually in history, when you suffered a defeat, you did not include that in your records. Why? Because it was embarrassing. How many of us like to talk about our defeats? No one. We don't want to talk about what's embarrassing. So in Egyptian history, this is one thing that's been uh, sought after to be removed. Just like in history, sometimes people want to remove things that are embarrassing. But it's there. It's present because God proved his authority even over them in that generation to begin to show that he's the kind of God that will intentionally do anything to redeem those who want to know him. His plan is very intentional. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, right? not a random thing jesus came lived a perfect life to show god's will for people how to live he came and died a perfect death he's the only perfect person that we will ever meet or ever know he's perfect in all ways and he did that intentionally to be that sacrifice to be put on the blood of our household of our family of faith so that if you apply the blood of christ to your life to your household To those you love, God's redemptive covering comes to you. And all of the judgments that He brings, all of the signs and wonders that He brings to get people's attention, you're saying, I got it. I know who you are. I'm following you. And His judgment passes over you. It's a beautiful, intentional picture of what Jesus does for those who trust Him. And what's the intentional result? God's intentional result always leads to life and freedom. His intentional result is always life and freedom. God's not randomly getting us saved so that we can just say we're saved. God saves us and redeems us so that our lives then can be lived with His freedom and make a difference in the lives of others. He has an intentional result in mind when He does what He does. He's not a random God. He's a very intentional God who redeems to reveal who he is, his glory, so that people can know him and what he can do. And the last thing, then, when I look at this passage, isn't that fascinating, by the way? You just got history in about 20 minutes, right? And I realize it talks about all of the other belief systems that the Egyptians had, but we have some pretty frequent ones in our world today, too, right? People believe some pretty messed up things. And God will be intentional 
to debunk all of those. Perhaps some of you as Christians, the reality is that most surveys say that many Christians sitting in churches today don't believe God's Word and don't believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's what most research says. Sitting in churches in America today, Barna Research, fascinating. Well, here's the thing. I don't really want to be on the receiving end of one of those ten for God to get my intention, my attention to show me he's the one true God and he's going to redeem and he's going to do anything it takes to get my attention or those around me. I don't really want to be on the receiving end. Usually we only need about one, hopefully two, hopefully not three, right? But God will do whatever it takes. Now, why would he do that? Remember, his character is redemption. And do you realize the only people that would argue against or have a problem with what God does to get people's attention are the ones who want to fight against redemption. You ever thought about that? Oh, well, that's not right. Or that, how could he? Or, man, look at who he does. It's only people who want to fight against his redemption that reject his redemption. People who realize God is intentional in his salvation. People who realize, I am desperate for the salvation and relationship with the one true God. I really want to know him. Those people realize, I need it, I receive it, and I'm going to walk in it. When the blood comes over your household, you're grateful for it. When you see God's redemption in your life, you go, I'm thankful for who it is. And how do you receive that? Well, the third thing that's always present in God's redemptive plan, and I close with this, is the word obedience. Obedience. You see, God desires redemption. God desires to reveal who He is, His glory. And to apply that is obedience. The Bible says, Moses and Aaron did it. They did exactly as the Lord commanded, thus they did. In verse 6 and 7, Moses was 80, Aaron was 83. And yet, at that point in their life, they realized it was obedience to the Lord God, Yahweh, that would, relate, that would lead to their redemption and the redemption of those around them. It's never too, too late to know the Lord. It's never too late to start over. It's never too late to follow Him. And it's never too late to trust Him for salvation. Or never too late for Him to do the next great thing in your life. God has a way of doing great things through and on behalf and for those who follow Him. He is an intentional God. And following Him intentionally in our faith allows us to experience what He can do. When I think of intentionality, what could you and I do today to be intentional in our relationship with God? What are some practical application steps that you think about? Well, one, you're doing this today. The reality is just as you are in church today, in the midst of a culture that's like, okay, well, don't go to church. I mean, you go to the movies, right? I mean, we'll go watch a concert or a sports game or we'll go do other things. Why are we so afraid of church? Why are we so afraid of experiencing God? I mean, Satan's good. If he can slip that subtle message and keep people from being in church, well, what does it do? It begins to cause us to back up on our obedience. It causes us to back up on our encounter with the one true God. It causes us to be less intentional in knowing who He is and growing in our relationship with Him. So one of the very first practical steps of obedience is make sure that you are in a place where the Spirit of God, you sense Him. He's moving. His Word is taught where you are growing and you are committed to walking with the God who is. Number two, when I think about not only obedience, what's another step? You know, the reality is here at Calvary this morning, here's what I love. There were people that showed up to do community and life together. There are opportunities to do community and life. And one thing that I've learned throughout the last two years, we've talked about this, we need each other. We need other people walking with us in faith, in life, to be able to help us grow in our relationship with one another. I was at the gym this week working out with a couple of Marines this week, and, and one of them never seen him before, so I was asking him about his service because I have a family history of people who have served this country to bring about freedom. Um, and so I asked him about his service, where he had been, and 
um, the wars that he had been to. And it was funny. After that, he said, well, you must be a Marine, too. I said, not quite. I'm a pastor. He said, close enough, right? Um, And as we talked, it was interesting because he has intentionally learned to be able to serve his country and to serve things that for him matter for the freedom of those of us who even sit in this room today. And he and I began to strike up a dialogue, texted a few conversations, etc. As I visited with this gentleman, one of the things that I realized is we all need someone who cares enough about us to help us in our relationship with God. And we all need to find that in community with someone else. Do not neglect the Bible study fellowship here at Calvary Baptist Church, the opportunity to connect in groups here at Calvary Baptist Church. When you think about the next chapter of life and you look back and you go, well, I haven't been to Bible study. Well, I'm scared of Bible study. Well, I don't know those people. Well, then here's your opportunity to get intentional about growing in your faith. Because as you connect with other people out there in the world, or even here in the church, it helps us know the God who is, grow in our relationship with Him and our faith. Even this weekend, for example, parents. Pastor Stephen has planned very practically. Friday night, a night here, water night for your kids. And so that's something fun for your children in the children's ministry, right? So you get to drop them off, then you get to maybe go be a grown-up for a minute. And then you get to come pick them up. But then on Saturday as well, he's got a day planned at the zoo for those kids and families, family event in children's, children's ministry. That may be your first step to build community for your children to point the direction for them to come to know the Lord and for you to get to know other people. Intentionality by being in community, groups and Bible study. Intentionally finding a way to serve. Here's the reality that I I see in this church, talking about this family of faith here at Calvary. Um, The reality is, pre-pandemic, a lot of people were serving Jesus actively. Post-pandemic, just being quite frank, a lot of staff are serving (laughs) the reality. The paid people are doing the work. What happened to the church? What happened to the desire to serve, the gifts? And sure, it can say, well, it looks different. Obviously, things look different. Is that an excuse to not serve Jesus? Is that a reason to express a bad attitude and say, hey, I, well, you don't have what I want, so I'm just going to sit on the sidelines. No fun sitting on the sidelines. I've been on the sidelines, ridden the pine, sat on the bench, and that's not fun. Get in the game and play. It's a whole lot more fun. Find a place to serve by using your gifts. And I know there's a wonderful staff team here that will help you be able to do that. Service. Being able to find a way, an outlet for your faith in community, being a part of a faith-based Bible teaching church that builds you and doing something with your faith. Those are some catalysts that get you moving in your relationship with God. But then I would say this personally. Most of the time what I find, people drift from God when they don't spend time with Him. And here's what I love about the story we read today. Moses experienced God. You remember Henry Blackaby's experiencing God, for those of you that walked through it? What was it all about for those of you that have been through the study? Henry Blackaby wrote a wonderful study on it, and he basically discovered that Christians who experience God in their life, they have a great life. They have an intentional relationship with Him. They are intentionally growing with Him as they study His Word, as they pray, as they talk to Him, as they encounter Him daily and as they go out into their world intentionality in our faith is a key toward growing in our relationship with god and impacting our world and god was so intentional that he took out all the stops to reveal himself to the egyptians and god was so intentional that he took out all the stops to reveal himself to us because that's why jesus came To reveal the full character and fullness of God in the flesh. To live a life that would allow Him to be the sacrifice on our behalf on the cross. To come back to life to prove that He is the God over death and over life. And to prove that He's the one that would give life to anyone who would trust Him by faith 
intentionally. And with that, perhaps that's you. Perhaps intentionally in this moment today, the Spirit of God is prompting your heart and you realize He is. He is. And He desires to save. And Maybe right now you realize His desire to save is you. Can we bow our heads for a moment? Because I think as His children, we need to do business with the great I Am. With our heads bowed, and more importantly, our hearts open in humility before a God who will pull out all the stops to reach you. I just want you to search your heart for just a moment. Do you have a redeeming, saving relationship with God because you are real with Jesus? Do you have that? And if you know that that's genuinely not the case, then right now I believe the Spirit of God is causing you to realize that because He intentionally wants to save your life and save your soul. If you know that and you know today is your time to say yes to the great I Am, then right where you are, whether in this room or online, from the depths of your soul, your heart I want you to say to him God I hear you I know you're speaking right now to me yes you are God and you love me I know you desire to save me and you sent Jesus to make it real so today in my soul I bow my heart and my life to Christ, your Son, my Savior right now. I pray that you will come into my heart. You will forgive me of my sins, my rebellion, my past. And I turn today from my way of unbelief to you in full belief and faith. Jesus, save me. And I thank you for filling my life right now. That's the prayer of your heart as we continue to pray. Then I want you to do something very personal. I want you to make sure that you let someone know that that meant enough to you to say, I ask God to save me today. There's a response card in the chair in front of you. You can use that. Please do fill that out and leave that with us when you leave the place today. But let's continue to pray. Christian, God intentionally wants to use you. Intentionality always accomplishes great things in life. Intentional, we do it with education, we do it with our jobs, we do it with our relationships. But what about with our God? Christian, today, perhaps your prayer is very simply, God, it's time for me to re-engage and get intentional about my life with you. Father, this is my prayer for your people today, for we, the family of faith here at Calvary, and for those that we have in our circle of life to influence and impact them for eternity, for salvation, for life, for freedom. God, teach us the power of intentional living in our walk with you. And I pray that even today, in this church, through your people, you will work in great ways through those who trust you. Thank you for this moment that we've had together in your word and for being the great I am. We love you and we thank you for redemption through your son Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. Next Sunday is a special Sunday. So I want to encourage you to be back in church next week. Um, next week's dedicated for our Romania mission team who is going to talk to you and share stories. We're going to worship together about the impact. Listen very closely that you as a church 
from New Orleans, Louisiana, in the midst of all the foolishness that's going on out there, you as a church, look around. You as a church, those of you online who supported, prayed, who gave, who are part of supporting that, you as a church sent a mission team overseas with all the other stuff you hear that worked with Ukrainian refugees, their children, and Romanian orphans, and people to share the gospel. Now, I, I can't steal their thunder. I want to right now because some of the stories are really miraculous. Matter of fact, you want to know why we do it? Because sometimes there's always the Christian that goes, well, why don't we do it right here and never overseas? You know, number one, you're a bitter Christian for saying that. And you've missed God's purpose. Number two, come to church next week and you'll hear why. <laughs> so it's going to be a special week. There are ways that you can continue to support that, by the way. This week, our local Chick-fil-A on Manhattan, because they believe in this church and they believe in the mission that we do, Thursday, all the proceeds, when you go to Chick-fil-A and say, I'm with Calvary Baptist Church, by the way, all the proceeds from that, they're going to make a contribution to our mission fund. Go check that out, right? That's just a part of we as a church being on mission with Jesus to change our world. You do the right things intentionally, God has a way of blessing that. So Thursday, go get filled up on Chick-fil-A. Order two number ones, right? Um, and if you're not going to go and eat, then whatever you would spend at Chick-fil-A, write that check and put it in the offering plate here at Calvary because that's going to make an impact in our community, our city, and our world. Parents, I've already mentioned what you can do this week with your kids, so I'm excited about life. Some of you, you're looking for a church home. That welcome card, you fill that out, turn that in. You made a decision today. God was speaking to you today. We want to follow up on that just like this week with one of my dear friends came to know Christ because you felt something in church and needed to know what was going on. That's you today. Fill out that communication card. Come see us in the front. We want to help you know a God who's intentional about you and your life and making a difference. Until we meet again next week and we celebrate, thank you for being faithful. Coming to church, giving of your tithes and offerings. Our gentlemen will be here in the room as you leave. You can drop your tithes and offerings off or you can do it online. And thank you for being willing to get back into the place that God has for you to be as we get ready to impact the Lord this upcoming fall and rest of this year. I'm excited about God's work here. Can I pray for you one more time before we go? Let's stand together as we get ready to go. God, may your grace your peace and your mercy be with your children today. May your face shine upon each and every one of them as they go from this place. May your supernatural divine hedge of protection be around them. And will you bless them, each and every one. In the midst of all the noise and all the news, God, would you bless your children as they intentionally seek to live their lives for a God who loves, saves, and redeems the lives of people who trust Him. We thank You for this and for Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.